loyal but loveless. Loyal but loveless. That's what we are going to focus on. And this is Jesus saying to the church that you guys are so loyal in everything you do, whatever I ask you to do, but you are loveless. You are growing cold in your love. At least it doesn't say to them, like in the other parts, that you are lukewarm, I will spit you from my mouth because you are tasteless. <laughs> it says loyal but loveless. I just want to pray before we go through and read and hear what the Lord has for you and I. Father, thank you this morning for you are so good. Thank you for your love towards us. Thank you, Father, that it is your desire that we may grow to know you, to follow you and have a relationship with you. The God of the universe, he who created the beginning before it began, he who created time before time began, he was so transcendent, eminent, and so powerful, and never controlled by anything, yet desires to have a personal and intimate relationship with us. Lord, you are so great. We thank you, Lord, for humbling yourself by seeking to have a relationship with frail humans like we are. And Lord, we honor you. We love you, Lord. We pray that speak to our hearts. May you fill us with the Holy Spirit and allow us, Lord, to know you, to love you, to follow you, and to grow in our relationship with you for the rest of our lives. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, I want to explain to you a little bit about the church at Ephesus or the Ephesians church before we go ahead and read the letter that Jesus wrote to the church. You, you, uh, you don't have to be confused about these two things about the church at Ephesus and the Ephesians church. How many of you have read the book of Ephesians? Okay. All right. The book of Ephesians, when we talk about the Ephesians, we are talking about the people, right? And when we talk about the Ephesus, we are talking about the city. So just like it is Zambia and Zambians, all right? So Jesus is right now, Paul writes the letter to the Ephesians. Is, Paul is writing to the Ephesians church, to the people that were in Ephesus. Jesus is, an, is addressing the nation, the worship in that particular nation, because it says to the angel of the church at Ephesus, write and say. So Ephesus was a big city. It was quite an amazing city that, that was uh, a center of trade in their time. It was by the port, and everyone had to go through Ephesus because of its good economy, of its good governance. And there were so many Jews at this city, at Ephesus, there were so many Jews that had come from all over to come because of the trade, because of the port, because of the, the city itself, and everything that was going on. But also in this city of Ephesus, it was a very religious city because there was a worship of idols and gods, different kind of gods. One among the prominent gods that was worshipped at the city of Ephesus was the goddess called Diana. So this goddess called Diana was, was a god of fertility. And they worshipped, receiving the worship to this god in Egypt thousands of years earlier. But they worshipped this god 
and, and they had created a huge temple right at, outside the city to this goddess. Like we see at Corinth also, it was the same setup. So actually what was happening was that at the center of this city, there was a huge library like this hall. So what would happen, only the men were allowed to go to this library. And then at, in, at the center of that library, there was a tunnel that laid, there was a road that laid exactly to, towards outside the city where this temple was to this goddess Diana. But now what happened around this temple, there were brothels, there were uh, little lodges and guest houses around the temple where prostitution was being held. There were women that had come from all over Greece, from all over Asia Minor to come around this particular temple. And so the men would, would say goodbye to their wives and say, I'm taking my books back to the library. And they leave the books at the library and find the channel to go out there to go to the temple of Diana and be able to have all kind of immorality that was going on. I'm giving you a prelude to why Jesus is addressing them about their failing love. Amen. And then we see all these kind of things going on. And, but also, they understood. We see there was a man uh, by the name of Apollos who was, who was in, in Ephesus many years. Uh, and he had heard only one, one kind of gospel. He had heard the gospel of John the Baptist. And then John the Baptist was preaching that a Jewish Messiah is coming. Prepare for the Messiah. He is coming. You know the word of uh, the, the message and the ministry of John the Baptist. So Apollos heard from John the Baptist, and, and he had gone to Ephesus, and he was preaching in the, in the temple, in the, in the synagogue, about this Messiah that will come, that people should prepare for the Messiah will come. And then there were two companions to Apostle Paul, whom they had met at Corinth many years ago, they had moved on to the, to the Ephesus, uh, the city of Ephesus for each trade and business. Their names were called uh, Priscilla and Aquila. So these two guys, Aquila and Priscilla, they had moved on to go to Ephesus. And then they, when they went to the synagogue, they heard Apollos preaching and saying, the Messiah is coming. And the Messiah who come, who bring his kingdom here on earth, is going to come. Uh, you find it in chapter 18 of the book of Acts, uh, starting from verse 24. That's, that's where you find Apollos preaching all this. And then Aquila and Priscilla, they come to Apollos. They called him aside and said, the message that you are preaching is already fulfilled. The Messiah came. They began to preach to him about Jesus Christ, the faithful one, the Savior who came. And said, this man you are preaching about, he came. He lived among us. He died. He rose. He is in heaven as we speak, but is here with us through the Holy Spirit. And they began to address that because there was a lot of doctrine going on. And we see that later on, these guys called Paul, who came and spent two years uh, with the Ephesians in Ephesus and preaching the gospel. And there was a great revival. If you read chapter 19, verse 24, book of Acts, you see that the revival broke through from the church of Ephesus at Ephesus to the entire Asia. The revival started with the Ephesians church. They were so diligent. They were so amazing. 
they were so committed to the gospel and they spread the gospel all over. Many countries heard the, God, the gospel of Jesus through the guys from the Ephesians church. So there were guys who were so committed to the gospel. And we see that 50 years after Jesus had risen and had gone to be with, uh, to heaven, 50 years after, we see uh, 50 days after Jesus' ascension, it was Pentecost. And then we see 50 years after, then Jesus is writing a letter to the Ephesians church. And I want you to read together with me the letter that Jesus is addressing to them. Let us read from uh, the book of Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. Up to verse 7. I want us to read together. Here it is on the screen. You can follow and read. From verse 1 it says. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. And walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds. Your hard work. And your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate the wicked people. That you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not. And have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name. And have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Amen. What a promise. Whoever is victorious, whoever conquers, whoever stays faithful up to the end, Jesus says that I will give the right to these people, to that particular person, to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Whoever has, an ear, whoever has ears, let him or let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Now, we see that uh, Jesus stands, this is Jesus speaking to the church at Ephesus, to the Ephesian brothers. Jesus says, the Bible starts by saying that he is standing among the golden lampstands. He has uh, the, 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 the sword of, of the word coming from his breath. His hair is white like snow, like cotton. That's what the Bible says in chapter 1. It says his eyes are blazing. His feet are golden. He has a, sh a sash and a robe, a royal robe oh, around his chest. He's standing and he's holding seven stars in his right hand. He's holding the seven stars in his right hand. And he's walking among the golden lampstands. You might, you might uh, imagine, like, just imagine how it is. He's walking among the golden lampstands. And then he's writing a letter to each, to each golden lampstand. 
to each church. And today we are learning about uh, the Ephesians, the Ephesus, the letter to the Ephesians. I, do, do we have that picture? Just trying to help you with the imagination of the picture of Jesus standing among, um, among the, 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 the golden lampstand, seven of them. We don't have that? All right. So he, just picture him standing among the golden lampstand. And then he is looking at, it's like he is walking among the seven of them and is looking at each one of them. He's looking at the church at Ephesus, a church at Smyrna, the church at Thyatira, the church at Pergamum. He's looking at each church and he is among them. This brings something to my mind. You know, there are times when we feel like Jesus is not there. When we gather like this, the church uh, in Indola, to the Indola Nights, you feel like Jesus is not there, like Jesus left. But this picture shows that Jesus, he is present. He is so much interested in every single business that is going on in the church. He is among them. With the Ephesian church, Jesus is there like this. He's looking at the golden, this is silver of course, but the golden lampstand with the candle on it, with the lamp on it. And Jesus is saying that, I know your works. I know your deeds. I know how you are fav fervent in spirit. I know how you are faithful. I know that you are so loyal to me. I know that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but they are not. I know that you have tested every spirit and you discern it right. I know your works. I know that you love what I love. I also know that you hurt what I hurt. He's saying that among the things that I heard, which you also heard, you heard the teachings of the Nicolaitans. If you want to ask, the Nicolaitans were the doctrines of the people and the followers that they were teaching. Much is not said about it, but from, from the traditional writings or the Jewish manuscript, we know that part of the teachings they were teaching was that Jesus was half human, Jesus was half divine. So he was some kind of creature around the throne of God. He was not fully human, he was not fully divine. Jesus was, you know, and Jesus says that, I hate that, how can you say that about me? Jesus was fully human and he was fully divine. Jesus is fully God and is fully human. In every way like we are human, he was tested, he was tempted, but he overcame. That's why he is passionate. He understands that he's, us, he's our high priest because he knows what it is like to be human. Jesus says, I hate it and I know you hate also the teachings of the Nicolaitans. So uh, you are favor with me because of that. So Jesus is like, wow, you are such an amazing church. It's such an amazing church. They were not like a spectator church where everyone else is viewing and looking where everything else is going and only few people are involved in serving Jesus. Jesus says everyone is engaged. They are loyal. They are faithful. They are hardworking. They stand for what is right. They, they detest evil just like I do. I know you, you are in the city where wickedness is reigning, where evil is reigning, but I know you hate evil. You hate evil teachings and you stand true to your core and faithful. And I love that about you. Wow, what an amazing church. Where is that church? You may ask. I would like to be part of that church. Well, you are that church actually. 
You are the temple of God. You are a bride of Christ. He bought you and purchased you with his life, with his blood. And he cleanses you and washes you and purifies you so that you may be pure, blameless, without spot. So Jesus says, I know your works. I know your doings. I know your action. I know everything that you do. Today we see many views, many believers, they look at church as unlike uh, the, uh, the Ephesian church where everyone was so involved to spread the gospel. Like I gave you a history, how revival broke forth from Ephesus and it went to the entire age and many other parts of, of, of Europe at a particular time. You know, but Jesus, like everyone is so engaged. Today, many people, they look at Christianity like football sport. You know, one thing I find interesting is that in the football, 22 health people, 22 health people who have no need for exercise are busy running, doing exercise. While 50 or 70,000 lazy people who needs exercises, who needs to, be, to keep fit and run to be health, they are watching the health people and clapping their hands. Isn't that amazing about football? <laughs> He's saying that the Ephesian church was not like that. It wasn't just the pastor and the few people in the teams running and praying and making sure that the church is run. Everyone was so involved. There was no spectators. No watchers, no viewers <laughs> in that particular church. Everyone was so involved and wanting to take the gospel to the next level in their particular time. And Jesus says, I know your works. I love it in the, <laughs> I like it also in the message Bible. Uh, what Jesus says, in the same chapter, let me just read it for you. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 from the message Bible. It says, write this to the Ephesus, to the angel of the church. The one with seven stars in his right fist grip, uh, striding through the golden seven lap cycles, speaks. I see what you have done, your hard work, your refusal to quit. I know you can't stomach evil, that you weed out apostolic pretenders. I know your persistence, your courage in my cause, that you never wear out. But you walk you walked away from your first love. Why? What's going on with you guys? Anyway, do you have any idea how far you have fallen? A Lucifer fall? <laughs> the guy who wrote the Bible, this version is so interesting. Turn back. Recover your dearly early love. No time to waste, for I'm well on my way to removing you, uh, to removing your light from the golden circle. You do have this to your credit. You heard the Nicolaitan business. I heard it too. Are your ears awake? Listen to the wind's words. The spirit blowing through the churches. I'm about to call each conqueror to dinner. I'm spreading a banquet of tree of life fruit. A supper plucked from God's orchards. You know, just trying to be so poetic with imagination about what Jesus is doing. We know very well. So you might ask, what does the, therefore the seven stars in his right hands, what do these things mean? Uh, what does the seven stars in his hands mean 
And what, what does him walking among the golden lampstands stand for as well? Well, we know that the seven stars uh, is representing the angel of the seven churches because he's saying that to the angel of the churches, uh, of the church in Ephesus, write and say. And then at the same time, he's walking among the golden lampstands. And these golden lampstands, they represent the seven churches to whom this message is going. So Jesus is speaking to the leadership and Jesus is speaking to the entire congregation of the church at Ephesus. And all the seven churches around is speaking to them and say, wake up from your slumber. But we know a few things that Jesus is praising them for. We know that. Can we identify that among ourselves? They were hard workers. They had exhibited great perseverance through torture and temptation, but they, they had persevered. They didn't put up with evil. They, they, they did not allow evil to reign among them. They stood up against false teachers and did not allow false teaching or the members to be taken away or anyone to be carried by the false teachings that were going in their time. They had endured persecution. Can we say that about ourselves? That we endure persecution? How do we react when persecution breaks? When times of testing come, do we find it as a good reason to give an excuse and run away from our faith? Or do we stand dear holding on to our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? As young people, how do you react to peer pressure? Do you succumb to it and do what the Romans do? You know that saying? Or you go to the Romans, do what the Romans do? That's not with faith. We have to be examples. Paul says to Timothy, be a good example to the believers in faith, in your conduct, in your doctrine. It's better to stand out. God has not called us to fit in. He has called us to stand out so that the light of the gospel may shine to everyone. Actually, say, let your light so shine among everyone that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Many believers, many young people, many, many other adults, whenever they, there is persecution, there is temptation, whenever people do not speak well about them, they fall away, they fall asleep. They give up on saving God. Have you forgotten that your work in the Lord is not in vain? Have you forgotten the scripture that says, do everything as unto God, not as unto man? Jesus is praising this particular church because they stood for what was right. Even in persecution, even in peer pressure, they did not compromise on their faith. But they allowed the truth to reign in their midst. If we can be like that, Indola will be a different city. Our world will be a different world altogether. Jesus will reign in our midst. Jesus will reign in among us. He's calling you and I to revisit our conduct, our doctrine, our faith, our commitment to him. He says, I praise you and commend your Ephesian church for what you have done. But Jesus also had one thing against them. He said that I have this against you, Ephesian church, that you have forsaken your first love. You have forsaken your first love. What does it mean and how does it look like to forsake your first love? By the way, how 
what happens? How do people even fall away from their first love? Well, I can tell you, uh, if you have been in love before, you understand that you are so passionate, you are so growing in it, you are gliding or sliding slowly into knowing and, you know, like being engulfed by the chemistry, the atmosphere of this person that you love so dear. You know, every day you just want to be with them. You don't want, you don't want time and distance to happen. You know, if you are from meeting, when I remember when, when in, in a relationship or courting many years ago, you like, you have met, you, you have talked, you've called, called, you, you planned and so many things. And then you just, you just go to different homes and then you call each other like, I miss you. Like, I just met you two minutes ago. What? You know? If you know my wife, she can call you 1,000 times a day. You know? She's like, she's so good at communication. She just always wants to check up and always want to feel. You know, there's so much going on when two people are in love, genuine love, really. But how can two people who are so much in love fall away from their first love? How can a married couple who are so dear promised each other the sun and the moon, you know, and everything, how, what happens for them really to just be apart, hearts apart? Not even worlds apart, you know. I think it doesn't happen instantly. I think falling away or dying or forsaking your first love, I think this happens gradually. Before you know it, you are calling 1,000 times a day. Now it's two, twice a day. Now it's twice a year. Now it's never, you know. It happens so gradually. You're falling away from it. I think the Ephesian church did not realize that, that they were busy serving Jesus and not serving with Jesus. They had not realized that they were busy trying to attack the false preachers. They were busy trying to kick out the Nicolaitans and forgot to mend and build their relationship with Jesus. Jesus says that you are doing great, but you are forsaken your first love. You remember what Jesus answers to Mary and Martha? That actually shows us a heartbeat of Jesus. One was busy doing the works for Jesus, and the other was busy doing the works with Jesus, right? So Jesus says the first things should come first. Serving with Jesus is much better than serving Jesus. Working for Jesus isn't as important as working with Jesus. The work of God is God seeks a relationship with you. Whatever you do for him, whatever you work, you have to do it with him. That's how you know how to do it right. Many times believers are so busy doing things for Jesus. Do you know actually there are other, I won't mention the religions. They, their doctrine also allows that you need to kill someone for Jesus. You've heard about them? They have suicide bombers and you know, these guys that will just go and do lie, 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 boom. They bomb all of you because you are teaching false doctrines. You are not part of their doctrines. They do it for God. That's what they say. It's a holy war. Let me not say a lot because I will slightly go to the name. Anyway, so is that what God really wants? Well, when you are doing something for God, when you are just so passionate about doing it for God, and forget about doing it with God. You may do and fulfill your own agenda. And forget about doing it his way. 
God wants to do his work his way, not our way. God wants to do his will, his style, not our style. But when we forget about our relationship with God, we'll end up doing a lot of things. And at the end of the day, you say that that's not what I told you to do. He's calling us to build our relationship with him. He says that remember your first love. You have, you have forsaken your first love. Let's, let's together think about what it means or what God calls love. What does God love from you and I? We know it's fellowship, right? Relationship with him. Inviting him in. We see in, in uh, Revelation chapter, chapter 2, actually, verse 30. Chapter 3, verse 20. He's calling. He's knocking. And I say, open up. He's not knocking to the non-believers. This particular scripture is addressing the people, the believers. He's knocking to the believers. Guys, you have locked me out. That's what Jesus is saying. You are busy there serving and doing many other things. Open up. Open up your heart. I want to come in and, and dwell with you. Could it be possible that these guys were so busy doing things for Jesus and they had locked Jesus out? Could it be possible that they were so passionate about God and passionate about, you know, doctrine and many other things? What, what did Jesus mean by saying you have forsaken your first love? How do we get closer to Jesus? With our hearts, with our soul, spirit, and body. In our prayer, in our reading of God's word, in our fellowship with him. Re requesting and requiring of him to show us the way, direction, depending on him. For every step of the way. And not becoming too used to like, this is how I do it. This is how we do it. Are we submissive to the spirit of God to lead us and show us the way? Sometimes it's so easy in church to form a tradition. The way, a routine of doing things. But God always, every minute, every time, he has a purpose and his will to fulfill among believers. Is he in your heart? How is your relationship with Jesus? Well, you can say you are only lost when you are away from God. There are so many people that are lost right in church. We see it from the parable of the prodigal son. One was lost away. Another one was lost right in the house. We hear it from what he says. I work for you <laughs> day and night. I work for you in the fields. I look after your sheep. I look after your cattle. You have not even given me one to eat. You're such a bad father. And then the father said, what are you talking about? I didn't know you were lost. Everything I have is yours. If you need anything, you can get and eat. And you'll not have problems with me. And then he realizes that, oh, I should have. That you, may not say, you may say that, oh, how can I forget and forsake my first love? Meanwhile, I am a singer. Meanwhile, I am pray I'm in a prayer team. I am in a tech team. I'm in whatever team. I go to church every Sunday. God is seeking first and foremost a relationship with you, a sound and general relationship with you. Your faith, your heart, your spirit, you come first before God, before anything else. You come first. Say, I come first. Yeah. He died for you. He didn't die for this pulpit. He died for you and nothing else. His blood comes to wash and sanctify. He's seeking for a relationship. Actually, Jesus says the Father is looking for true worshipers. True worshipers. 
So a true worshiper would give out of the truthfulness from their heart. Jesus is saying that check your heart, guys. You have forsaken your first love. Check yourselves. I want you to just do an introspection. In a checkup, personal checkup in your heart. How is my relationship with Jesus? How is my relationship with Jesus? If Jesus was to come today, what would he say about me? As a church, how is our relationship with Jesus? And also the other thing, how did they lose their first love? Uh, it's their hospitality, their love for one another. Because they were so much saving the Lord, which was good. Every person was so focused about saving and doing one. But they had forsaken their love for one another. They started pulling apart in different directions. There are different opinions. There are different things. And there are different ideas just like God has graced us. But when we grow together, when we come together, when we love one another, we are touching the heart of God. Unity for one another. The Bible says where there is unity, God commands his blessing. Actually, where there is unity in the team, the Spirit of God will be there to minister. In every team in church, you have to seek for the unity of the Spirit and the unity of the brethren, the brotherhood. Unity with one another in the team. So important if we are to build a church that leaves an indelible mark. If we are to build a church that creates an impact to the whole world. Jesus said that they will see you, they will know you, that you are mine for your love for one another. Your love for one another. Today we find enemies in church, like people that do not get along. Is that the spirit of Nicolaitan or the spirit of, oh, sorry guys. But the spirit of Jesus is a spirit of love. The spirit of Jesus is a spirit of unity. He's calling you to the unity of the spirit and the unity with one another. There shouldn't be hatred among ourselves. There shouldn't be an, an, an empty among ourselves. There should be unity. That's what God is calling. While you pray for one another, you speak well for one another, you help one another, you encourage one another, and you come together and worship God, then his spirit will come down. His glory will come down. His presence will manifest because we are one. We are united. If you have forsaken your first love, if you have grown cold in your first love, how then do you return to your first love? You might ask, what can I do? Not only to be loyal, but to be also loving. How do I return to the first love? Well, Jesus has taught them three things, what they need to do to return to their first love. And I'll go through it. The first thing Jesus says, number one, is that remember how far you have fallen. Remember where you have fallen. Remember how far you have fallen. That's what Jesus says. Remember where you've fallen. What happened, guys? Where did it start? Go back and look at what did, where did I go wrong. Remember that. And the second thing he says that repent. Repent. Repenting is turning away. Repenting is changing direction. If you are doing this, Jesus said, quit it. You go back to what you used to do. What do we need? Where do we need to remember? How do we need to remember? How have we fallen? Where have we fallen? Where are we sleeping? 
where are we growing cold in our love for Jesus? He's calling us to remember. Do you know that most of the things we do in Christianity, let me open up your mind a little bit. Most of the things that God has instituted in the Bible are there for us to remember what he did. Let me count a few things. Sunday service. In as much as we come to celebrate the goodness of God, we also come to celebrate and remember the resurrection of Christ. Sabbath, those who keep Saturday as Sabbath, who keep Sunday as our Sabbath, those who keep Saturday as Sabbath, or Sabbath itself, is to remember that one day God will give us rest from everything else. Where we'll be closer with him, we'll rejoice and celebrate. Sabbath means rest. That's why Jesus says the chief of Sabbath is here. Meaning Jesus is the true rest. When we come to Jesus, we find the rest. He says, come to me, all you labor, and I'll give you rest. Passover, we remember that God spared the people who loved him, who obeyed him, who honored him, who for, for the foreshadow at the blood of the lamb, representing the blood of his dear son who will come and wash away our sins. Passover. Good Friday, we remember the passion, the suffering of Jesus. Isn't that so? About Christmas, we remember that our Savior was once born in this world as a human. He came to save us. Emmanuel, God is with us. Ask me, I'll tell you so many things in the Bible. God has said that always celebrate this so that you remember. Jesus is saying that you remember where you have fallen. Because the human nature has a tendency of forgetting. As soon as God made a miracle for them to cross the Red Sea, a few days later they, forget, they forgot about it and started blaspheming God and complaining and murmuring. That's so much our nature. God will do a miracle today. He gives you a husband today. <laughs> Tomorrow that becomes a trouble. God gives you a breakthrough today. It becomes trouble. God gives you employment today. Tomorrow you stop coming to church and you are complaining. It's so much in nature of human. But God is saying that always you need to remember. But when God remember, it means that God visits. Let me not go in there. The second thing is you have to repent. Turn away from your wicked ways. Turn away from wherever you are. Remember and go back. Repent meaning going back to your first love. That's what Jesus is saying. Go back to your love for God. Go back to your love for prayer. Go back to your love for him and the fellowship with him. Go back to the fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Do you remember how it was like when you first gave your life to Christ? Do you remember how many hours you spent in church or personally praying because you are so passionate and you had received the Holy Spirit? Can you remember how it felt like? I remember how it felt like for me in 1993 when I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. When I got filled in the Holy Spirit. When I got the baptism of water and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I remember how it was like to finish the shoes, walking in door-to-door -door evangelism. Not really to count my work for the Lord, but I can remember quite a lot. And each time when I feel like I'm falling away, I just like, God, please renew and put in me a clean heart, broken spirit before you, Lord. Do not remove your spirit away from me. 
Just like David, you always have to remember and invite him back. And then the last thing is that you have to resume. You have to resume. That's why Jesus says, do it again. Do it again. Remember where you've fallen. Turn away from your wicked ways. And do it again. Do the first things. Do your first love. Go back to what God has called you. Many believers in here are so gifted and talented, but they are sitting on their giftings and talents because so many bad things happen to them. Jesus is saying that you are serving me. As long as I did not do that to you, why are you sitting on them? Come back to me. When did you last even pray? When did you last open your Bible, even slide to your Bible? Jesus is out. out. Faith comes. The word of God gives us faith. When we hear the word of God, we build our inner person. We need to eat it. We need to digest it. We need to swallow it. We need to consume it for our own growth. Some people only hear the word of God on Sunday in church. That's not health. Remember. Jesus is saying, remember, guys. Remember where you have fallen. Remember. And if you remember now, repent. Why should you repent? He's saying that if you do not repent, there's a warning. I am coming so fast. And I will remove not only the candle, I will remove also the golden candle stand from each place. Meaning that I will approach you. It's almost two months. I had a dream. And I'll end with that. Where the Lord showed me in this dream there was a big mountain. A huge, vast mountain. And down at the bottom of the mountain, around the mountain, there were little plots or big plots for the churches. So there were so many churches. Each church had its plot. Or each church building on that particular plot. There were unmentionable number of churches around that mountain. But there was one thing. And I was there with Open Church. I was part of Open Church. It was there. I mentioned that because the Lord allowed me. It was there. I saw it. And most of us were there. So those churches, they were only churches and nothing else. It was only kingdom business. And then the mountain had the owner. So the rule was we were supposed to do church, all of us, according to what the owner of the mountain liked, what he wanted, how he wanted us to do church. That's how we're supposed to do. There was instruction how to do church. Each church, there were unmentionable number of churches all around this vast mountain. The owner of the church never used to visit and all that, but we knew he was always there because whenever we looked at the mountain, we knew he was there. We had built churches on those, on those plots. And then one day, the owner of the mountain returned. And then he had something against a church that I know. I felt God was giving me a message to that particular church. I did. Um, yeah, God is... So I, this particular church, it was the biggest on that mountain, at least on the eastern side where we were, or on the side where we were located with so many other churches. And then the owner of the mountain said to this particular church, my wife knows about it because I, I shared this dream with her uh, months ago. And then he said to them that they were the biggest, by the way, in number and building size. And then he said to this particular leader of the church, 
He said that you have built the church quite big and fast and large following. But this church, you have not built it according to my rule. You are not doing things in line with what I have told you. I am the owner of the mountain, and therefore I'm the owner of this church. You have to change. You have to break A, B, C, D. He mentioned what they needed to let go and begin from scratch building in line with what he wanted. But the, the leader of this church says, where were you? When I was suffering, I'm repeating exactly words. Where were you when I was suffering, toiling, working to build this church? Where were you? After building, after suffering, after suffering a lot, then you come and tell me how to build the church? How to do it and have to break and destroy everything I've done? I am not going to do that because it's my effort, it's in my power, it's my sweat and blood and suffering, great suffering that I have built this church. Then he says that I gave you from scratch the description on how to build this church. That's what he says. If you don't want to follow my guidelines, I'm not removing it from where it is the church, but you have to leave. And whosoever follows you, you have to leave. Then I felt so, I felt my bones were shaking because I knew where I was going, what was there. Loneliness and lost and pain and more than, there was so much security around the mountain. There was fellowship. All of us, we could hear each other. We could feel how we were praying and how there was just so much great environment. But this man chose to leave. He said, I will go rather, go start somewhere else than continue building on this mountain because I have done it my way. I've done everything. Then you come when I'm done and say, this is your church because you own this mountain. I followed the brother, spoke to him. I cried, remember crying with passion in me to reconsider and humble himself and repent. And say sorry to the owner of the mountain. And start afresh. It's not like they are going to break his building. It's not like the people are going to scatter. It's him who needed to change the ways. But he said, no, I can't, my brother. He said, I can't. I'll better go and start somewhere else. And there were so many members that came to say, like, they wanted to create a revolt, like a protest with other churches. And say, we also have to protest and go and leave him. Leave his mountain. I said, there's nowhere else to go. This is the safest. Actually, this is not ours. It's his. So when he left, so many people left with him. But there were a few that remained in that particular building. And I woke up. I cried the whole week. I prayed about it. I shared it with my wife. After now, we have started this series in Revelation. Then I realized that the, that mountain represents the universal church. The church of God is one. We are just so many branches around. There's what we call universal church. When Jesus will come, he will not come for open church only, for Baptists, for Catholics. He will come for his churches. And his church is the believers who worship him in spirit and in truth. He's the owner of the mountain. We all have to build after his kind. We all have to build so well the church of God. 
And what is the church? It is you and you and you and I seated there. We are the church of God. We are, the believers are the church of Christ. He will not return for this building. He will return for you. If you have not built according to his pattern, you will not have access to enter. That's how serious the business is. That's how serious it is. How are you building? Where have you fallen? Remember your first love for God.